kind of amazing, though, that we would have wanted Aroma here to help uh, get on Chuck Norris's case only a few months after Chuck Norris made a really good action picture named Code of Silence, which we both like. Mm -hmm. That movie had a lot of good characters, an interesting plot, great stunts, and a real sense of style. And those qualities are all lacking in Invasion USA, which does, however, contain the most idiotic supporting character in any movie this year. And I think that's not even a close call. And it also contains one of the worst musical scores I've ever heard. One of those potted pseudo-symphonic, you know, uh-uh. Boom, 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 uh-uh, boom, 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 while these guys are driving through the streets. A bunch of terrorists, they are, who invade South Florida and start blowing up such American symbols as church services, school buses, and shopping malls. Uh-uh, boom, 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 they'll stop at nothing. They even fire their bazookas at happy suburbanites who are decorating their Christmas trees. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Uh-uh, boom, 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 boom. Welcome to part two of our Invasion USA episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, I can already tell that uh, some of our Invasion USA discussion is going to be on the cutting room floor. <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. If you want to hear it, do you want to know exactly uh, w all the different places that we went? Uh, well, that's on the ground floor. That You get that for just a dollar. The, mm -hmm. the, the lowest tier on our Patreon, the Travoltis, gives you access to our cutting room floor, everything and anything that doesn't make it into the episodes. Uh, it also gives you access to the Lohan miniseries. That's our latest big project uh, that Alex has been spearheading uh, over the past few months. Uh, we recorded part three. It should be hitting your your feet soon. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's filled with uh, with bad movies. There's another way of putting it. Mm. <laughs> bad movies, but good conversation around them. I think. Bad movies, worse times, but good conversation. Yes, and and it's not the end of the road. It's it's just no. You know, it's a you have to hit rock bottom before you you do the upswing for you bounce back. That's right. So, so don't lose faith. Just. We're not even going to say that you have to watch Chapter 27, Labor Pains, or The Canyons, but but you should hear us talk about them. And that, Agreed. That should be enough to do your duty. Also, on the on the Travolta tier, just for a dollar, you get access to a monthly bonus episode, at least one every month. This month is a pick from patron Jordan Mans, who is giving us the movie Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Alex, have you heard of this? That's a, a, a no for me, dog. I haven't. <laughs> I, I've heard of it before. I always get it confused with Manos, the Hands of God. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that one? That's supposed to be like an infamously bad movie. No. Okay. Well, we're not watching that one. <laughs> okay. We're, we're watching Aguirre, which is a Werner Herzog movie. And, Herzog uh, good? Herzog good. Herzog good, baby. Uh <laughs> Never seen it. Uh, I've heard about it. I've heard that it's one of the, the the Herzog classics. So sounds like that's that's where we're going this month. And uh, we have a second bonus episode that's actually going to be on the main feed. But we're gonna bring it up here just because you know you can thank the patron feed for it, and that is uh, the Lohan finale. Mm -hmm. We're going to be finishing up Lohan in style with. Uh, part four falling for Christmas. And we're also going to just basically tie 
episode three to episode four. We're going to give you the, how do you get from the canyons to falling for Christmas? Well, I'm sure Alex will tell me and, uh, and you, <laughs> all of you will, will benefit from that story. Now, if you want more stuff, you can always go up a tier to the Winonis or further, and that will get you our pre-recording notes and will also give you access to QVRs or quick video reviews. Alex, we've been doing the dual QVRs, which mm-hmm. actually uh, we've been making available to everybody just so that people know what we what we mean when we say QVRs. And I think that the duality of them uh, makes them a good showcase for the stuff that goes on in our, our Patreon channel. So, so far we've done Teen Titans Go to the Movies, Bad Genius, Bullet Train, and now Demanded by patron Ben Murray. We're going to do Martin not Martin, the Martin Lawrence show, which was the first result when I did the, the Google search. Uh, this is a movie from 1976, directed by George Romero. That's all I know, other than we're going to have to hit YouTube to watch it, because it's, at least so far, it's not streaming anywhere else. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know anything about it. The only Romero movie I've seen is, uh, I think, the first zombie movie he did. Is it Night of the Living Dead? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if this is a zombie movie or if this is a movie about Martin Lawrence. From, <laughs> from 1977? Looks like it's on Tubi. Oh, perfect. Okay, it wasn't no. when I checked it. Uh, the internet, an ever-changing landscape. Uh, fantastic. So, Martin, you can all watch it then on Tubi. I'm going back row blind, Alex. You've never heard of this, right? Uh, I have. Um, I've never seen it, though. Okay. Well, yeah. we'll we'll discuss what you know and what you don't know on the on the opening segment of that QBR. I'll tell you one thing: the theatrical cut is ninety minutes, and the original cut is one hundred and sixty-five minutes. So, I'm hope it looks like <laughs> what's the Tubi cut? Yeah, I think we're just rocking the ninety minutes, but uh, got me got me real scared there for a second. <laughs> All right, Ben, if. Uh, if the 90-minute cut is not the one that you wanted, well, uh, tough shit. That's the one that's up to me. All right. And then, of course, Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're listening to, that we're thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Well, Julio, this past week, my sister and I went and saw Blink-182 when they were in town, uh, so I'll be talking about my voyage to that concert, and, you know, there's no, no band that's more important to me in my life than Blink-182, and it was nice to really? see them. Oh, yeah, that's 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 number one. I mean, just for, like, sentimentality, but also just... I started listening to Blink in fourth grade before they got big. You know, I my cousin... Had Dude Ranch and was like, dude, you have to listen to this. And it was like, holy shit. You know, that's before Travis Barker was even in the band. And they got really big with uh, Enema of the State with What's My Age Again, mm-hmm. all the small things. And so, you know, and I've every album of theirs since I've bought and I have <laughs> varying degrees of thoughts on. And um, yeah, man, they've been a, a constant my whole life. So getting to see the three of them together again was kind of surreal. And it was pretty fun. So I'll talk about my concert experience. And then also, um, not as fun, kind of left me uh, with the opposite set of feelings. 
I watched Harmony Korine's 2009. Uh, Why? Why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you would call it. Experiment. Um, it's a lot of him jacking off in front of a mirror, but it's a movie called <laughs> Trash Humpers that I watched, and it, we'll be talking about my experience watching Trash Humpers. Uh, <laughs> I do love he when he premiered it. I think it was at the Toronto International Film Festival. He when he was doing his like introduction of it, he was just like the name is literal. It will be characters literally humping trash. Uh, so if you want to walk out, you can do that now. He's like, I wanted to make sure that the name did not potentially offer any room for interpretation. <laughs> so that's why I called this movie that. Uh, so Trash Humpers is on deck for discussion as well. All right. Well, Alex, uh, speaking of disappointing stuff, I watched the new Indiana Jones movie and I'm going to complain to you about it. Hoot. <laughs> and, uh, and then I watched also the new Mission Impossible movie. I got an invite to an early screening, and so I went, and that was a much more satisfying experience. So I'm going to hit you with a, a good movie theater experience and a not-so-good movie theater experience uh, that should balance itself out, much like your Blink-182 and your Trash Humpers experiences balance out, I'm sure. So if any of that sounds interesting, Trash Humpers, Blink-182, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and all the other stuff that we brought up on this segment, check out our patron, patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Look at our tiers. See if you'd like to join the contrarian supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10 are respective tiers. Head on over, drop four quarters down just to get a tour, a virtual tour of what we got. It'll take you all the way back to our very first bonus episode when we covered in great detail our love for Blue is the Warmest Color and everything that's gone down since then, including our Rock Cena mega series and clocking in at nearly 12 hours of discussion of the 2011 to 2012 rivalry of The Rock and John Cena and the history and money those two gentlemen made together in the world of professional wrestling and some of the fallout as well and a detour with our friend CM Punk to Girl on the Third Floor. <laughs> it's all there. You can find it. And as we mentioned, the first three installments of The Lohan uh, pretty much becoming a mega series of its own at this point. A lot of uh, fun recording those episodes and a lot of interesting discussion being had there. And we do that for our patrons, and that's the only way you can access those episodes. So be sure to head over to patreon.com slash contrarian prime. And like I said, just drop a dollar and take a look around you'll realize you want to pay more because you need more. You need more of our content. And trust me, we we love to create it and continue to provide it. Uh, so to all of our current patrons, we love you all dearly. And as I like to say at the end of the spiel, we are currently accepting uh, applications for new patrons. They will be quickly reviewed, filed in our human resources slot and approved. So head on over. And now, Alex, let's head on over to uh, to the beach, to the to America. America. <laughs> Invasion USA. Julio, when I explained to our friend of the podcast, Reed, that we were doing this movie, his um, he's a fan of it. But his quote here that I thought was appropriate for what we're doing, he said, it's a personification of everything great and terrible of the Reagan era. <laughs> I thought that's pretty on the money. Because it is that overwhelming sense of America number one. Like if a movie like this got made today, people would complain that it's American propaganda, which, you know, to a certain extent that movie is. Um, also, to a certain extent. 
also, it really sucks that these aren't that fun anymore. Watching these movies from the eighties and like the Terminator's something different because that's like you you know science fiction almost bordering on horror. Um, the first one and uh, like the Predator, that's just something fun. But watching these movies here, and I know like we haven't had a war on American soil, but it's not enjoyable to watch people be gunned down in malls in America because that shit happens way too often. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's taken, I'm not saying from the jump, like if America was a, if we had decent gun control and it wasn't a land of just fear and bloodshed constantly, I don't even know if this would be your type of movie to begin with. But for me who likes action movies and shit typically like this, there's stuff about this that this movie obviously could never really have predicted of how rampant it is now, but it's just not as fun to watch um, because of that. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't know what it was like in the, in the eighties here, as far as was it just that the idea of violence, this level of violence was so outlandish that that's why you could enjoy it because they're like, Oh, it would never happen. So, I mean, yeah, to a certain extent, the eighties was definitely a decade of excess, you know? And so it's, and that there's no better way to see that than a lot of the big movies that came out during that time. And this, you know, wasn't the Terminator, but it it did all right for itself. I mentioned that $12 million budget brought about 40 million home. And, uh, one of the weirdest things I read about this was until 2007, it was MGM's second highest selling home video title. <laughs> Any guess what number one is? Uh, is it Invasion USA 2? <laughs> Invasioner USA? Uh, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that classic double feature. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well that's what we should do if we ever get to program anything or like are brought on as guests we need to do a gone with the wind invasion usa double feature so anyway that's just i i, I wanted to get that out of the way initially because you well, know we it's, talked it's to, an excellent point though alex to to make because um it definitely provides for more conversation than i thought i could get out of invasion usa once we got to real talk <laughs> And, and it's because it ties in with what we were talking about in the introduction. This this type of movie, it did well in Peru, at least, I mean, I don't know, movie, uh, movie theater-wise, but definitely, you know, it was on rotation on TV, and they were popular enough that they were playing them a lot, and I was too young to really know what the uh, sociopolitical impact of the Chuck Norris action movies were in Peru, but I, I kind of get the feeling that they were popular. And unlike America... Uh, Peru in the 80s, I mean, it was, there were terrorist movements. I mean, I've, I've talked about this before, you know, that's why there yeah. was a good chunk of of my childhood where we're just not going to movie theaters because movie theaters were targets, you know? Yeah, I, I don't want to cut you off here because it's a really obviously personal thing, but I want, I'm trying to remember, was it Street Fighter? There's an episode where you kind of go into detail about that that I would I, I think it was Street Fighter. Street Fighter because that was, Street Fighter was one of the first movies that we saw in theaters, you know, when theaters were making a comeback because... The, the terrorist threat had finally been mostly, for the most part, uh, put down. And so, yeah, we went to see Forrest Gump. We went to see Street Fighter, Apollo 13. Like, that batch of movies always thinks, I always remember as like, oh, yeah, that was us going back to the theaters, you know? Before 
uh, things got really bad. You know, we went to see Star Wars, Indiana Jones, like that was, and then there was a chunk of my early teen years, uh, preteen years were, yeah, we were just not going because there were like, you know, fucking car bombs on the streets and all that stuff. So what I was going to point out is that even in a country where that was happening, Mm -hmm. there was still a market for this type of movie. So maybe it's not just that, that, oh, well, now it's happening in America and that's what we can enjoy. Maybe it is. I don't know. But but I'm thinking maybe it's also that as as an audience, we are also just overall grown more more sensitive to it. You know? Before we get too deep into this, when it would completely seem superfluous, let's go ahead and talk about the people that like this. Talk about the quotes. Okay. Yeah. No, but but I'm gonna lose it if I don't say it right now. And then oh, okay, we can, okay. we can pick I'm it sorry. up later. Go for it. But I just I just realized that maybe the reason that you can enjoy it in Peru, as there's terrorist attacks all all around the city, but you can still enjoy a Chuck Norris movie, is because it's not set in Peru. It's set in the United States. And and then and the United States prevails, right? All the shit happens, but then at the end, Chuck Norris kicks ass and and it's all solved. So maybe in that sense, it is excellent escapism because it's showing your problems, but how a different country solves them. And so there is hope. And maybe that's that's why <laughs> there was not a problem. But if you're watching it in America, you're seeing it play, you know, it's a movie set in America and it has a different type of uh, resonance because you know that in the real world, Chuck Norris doesn't fix it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's also in America. You have to. Red Dawn was around this time, and it's just the idea of like, oh, these fuckers. You know, if they try to fuck with us, you know, we're we're really gonna show them. And the, that's a Reagan's America type thing. We're number one. We're you. Uh, you better pack two lunches if you you want to start a fight with America. That type of thing. And so. <laughs> the, the idea here of Chuck Norris representing America is so fucking transparent but it was the type of shit people lapped up then and again in a different world it's the type of action movie i could have a really good time with but it's just my first time watching this was on july 5th of 2023 and you know live in a shitty country that people die needlessly every day in um in similar fashions so it was just kind of like you uh, i'm we're at a place right now where you can see where this would be popular where you grew up and me understanding why it was popular in its native land when it was released. So it's just a different time, man. And this isn't the type of movie that um, has Song of the South or something that has like really like fucked up shit in it. That you're like, why was this ever a good idea? It's just kind of, <laughs> sorry, man. The deck of cards has changed. Now, I can and will say a lot of very positive things about the actual production of this movie and when people actually gave a shit and made fucking movies. So before <laughs> I get into that, Julio, 19%, few people threw their two cents out there and said this one was worthwhile. What were they saying? All right. Got three fresh quotes and then John's message. So we'll start with caffeinated Clint from Movie Hole, who simply says, Chuck at his best. Is this Chuck at his best? Is this the the epitome of Chuck Norrisness? I mean, Chuck wasn't really an actor. I I'd be curious if he you said don't he say was. Say Alex. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know Bruce Lee was a better actor than Chuck Norris was, but he obviously knew a lot of martial arts and could bring that to the screen. And I don't know. 
I'd be curious. It, he's so fucking old. I don't know if he remembers anything anymore, but just <laughs> I'd be curious to talk to Chuck Norris and if he would tell you, you know, I was an actor, if he would put himself on the same plateau as Christopher Lee or something. I don't know. Man. <laughs> Uh, well, there's no way of knowing, and unless somebody has an in with Chuck Norris, I think that after what we've said so far, I don't think that he'd be taking our calls. Uh, next, Ed Travis from Synapse says there may be no greater example of the simpler, more triumphant, and naive cinematic times the 1980s truly were than Invasion yep. USA, in which one single man dot 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 could literally save the entire country. Naive is a perfect word, and I, I I need to make it clear that um, Reaganomics, Reagan's America, all that bullshit clearly could have been seen through at the time by people just kind of paying attention, but I don't fault anybody for making a movie like this. I don't fault anybody for capitalizing on the excess of the 80s. You know, if I did, if I faulted people for making movies like this, then I would it would be so hypocritical because I'd... You know, Friday the Thirteenth, that type of shit, and so yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's a Machiavellian plot behind Invasion USA to warp the American minds into thinking that I don't know that violence is what makes America great. I think that they were just they saw the writing on the wall. It's like, oh, this is what's popular. <laughs> they read the tea leaves. They yep. saw what was bringing in the bucks, and they're like, hey, Chuck, how's the beard doing? Ready, ready to get back to work. <laughs> How about we use two guns in this one? <laughs> All right. Next, Leo Goldsmith from Not Coming to a Theater Near You. Only Chuck, a libertarian redneck who simply wants to be left the fuck alone, has the red, white, and blue balls big enough to put an end to these problems. Is he a libertarian in the movie? <laughs> I don't think he ever reveals no. his political affiliation. <laughs> He's not. If he was a libertarian, he'd say, not my fucking problem. He'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, uh, what's the least popular option? Okay, let's go with that. Yeah. Living on his land and then asking how the CIA got there. What business is it of yours? And then, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And then when, when they tell him, like... Oh, well, all this is happening. He goes, see, I told you so. I told you this would happen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And here's John. John Amenta from The Pint. He sent us this message to be read through Real Talk. He says, hello, guys and listeners. I hope this finds you well. I write this on Independence Day 2023, and that feels appropriate (laughs) for this film. I have no reason for picking this film other than making Julio watch another Chuck Norris vehicle. He gets it on our show, The Pint, a pop culture podcast found on all quality podcatchers, and reviewed the Norris Ninja, and then in parentheses, Ninja, 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 because Chuck Norris whispers Ninja a lot in the voiceover in that movie. Um, The Norris Ninja film, The Octagon, and did not have much fun with it. Yes, as I admit it in in Contrarian's Quarter. That movie sucks. Uh, John continues. 
but this film has a mass mall shooting from the days when those were mostly only found in fiction and could be looked at in an action film entertaining fashion, as well as Chuck's shirt open just enough to see that swath of chess hair that has kept the world in captivity since the 70s, and easily the best cocaine straw, is that what they're called, through the brain death scene ever. Oh, and Richard Lynch, aka Dime Store Rutger Hauer, as the villain. How can he not <laughs> like this one? <laughs> That's tremendous. Had you read his his comments before then? No. <laughs> okay, so he has a similar train of thought to, to us. Yep. Uh, and he concludes, I feel like Alex may have some fun with this and Julio may never talk to me again. Love, John. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Norris is going to disappoint a lot of fans uh, with Invasion USA. I think you've taken care of the movie fairly well. It's uh, stunningly <laughs> bad. The other thing is, uh, there's one big logical flaw. Now, the, the guy that's doing the invading is a Russian. I mean, he's got a Russian name. Now, he wouldn't, you don't work alone in Russia, you know? I mean, the, the government tells you what to do there, right? You probably wouldn't invade. John, I, I will not stop talking to you, but this was... Oh, man, is it better than the Octagon? I don't know. The Octagon is really bad. And this, I, I did not have a good time either, so... It's kind of, I don't know if the commercials on Pluto TV made it better or worse. Like if it was better because I got a break, you know, from from the Chuck Norrisness of it all every, every 10, 15 minutes, or if it made it worse because it made it longer. But uh, this was rough I for me. I expected you to have a, a good time overall, even if you would come out of it saying, yeah, that was not a good movie. Whereas I come out of it saying, yeah, that was not a good movie. And I was pretty bored through through most of it. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That's a big thing. I was like, hashtag all in when <laughs> um, when Rostov like shoved the, the girl's head down and her gold cocaine straw went to her face and then fucking, yeah, gave her the new Jack Vic Grimes toss off the side of the building. <laughs> I was like, and he shot the dude in the dick. <laughs> yeah. That is so detached from everything else that happens in the movie. Oh, and I didn't even mention this in Contrarian's Corner when I could have said something actually positive about it. That is legitimately funny when the guy who runs that shitty motel where that happened in goes up to the room to see what all the commotion was and he sees these dead bodies, but then he sees the big bag of cocaine and he just takes the cocaine and leaves. <laughs> but that scene, when you're done with the movie... That feels so detached from everything else because it's like this scene of what, what, why, why was the terrorist who wants to take over America coming to our drug dealers and like, what have you heard? What's the scuttlebutt? (laughs) You got some guns? Why would he come here without like weaponry? It will, it will have already played in this episode, but we are absolutely dropping Siskel and Ebert's uh, discussion of this movie in here. But um, so when that happened, I was like, all right, here we go. This guy's here to like bring it down from the inside. And then, you know, there's going to be some big knife fight or some shit at the end with him and uh, Chuck. And then when the militia, like the military, the cavalry showed up and they stormed the beaches and just were disguising as cops. It was like, what the fuck? It was like, what? what is this? I thought it was going to be something like he vows revenge against this guy who's rising through the ranks of the organized crime circuit in America, who's like a Russian or something. And 
and it just turned into a one man army against you know a, a legitimate army of terrorists a literal and invasion all, oh yeah and i never thought i'd get bored with rocket launchers but man they really overdid it with the <laughs> rocket launchers now talking positively here things julio doesn't care about but i will make a deal of <laughs> Richard Lynch and his crew blew up a real residential neighborhood during shooting. It was slated for demolition due to expansion of Hartsfield Airport runway, so the Atlanta Film Commission gave the Cannon Group permission to blow it up. The area is currently the site of the Georgia International Convention Center in College Park, GA. So those are real houses that they wired with explosives and blew up. That's awesome. That is better than anything in your movies, Julio. I not the ones wish that-, that it was part of a movie that was good because then it, it would enhance that. But as it is, it's like, oh, it's a cool production bit, but it yeah. doesn't mean anything in the context of the movie, you know? Oh, anything I can say positive about this besides the dude from the hotel stealing the cocaine <laughs> is, is going to be production oriented. And then, because I was trying to find it in the first half, and I couldn't. This note here: the production uh, that mall sequence took six days, and it was at a shopping mall that was still being built. It was under construction. The explosions for the sequence cost over one million dollars. God bless. You're right, though. The word "bored" is something you wouldn't really think of with this. But what is that? We did it the summer in Winona. What was our action movie that we bu- was it? Homefront was that the name of it? Yes. That is what this should have been. Yep. And obviously, you're dealing with a better crop of actors in that movie, but (laughs) it's still... Well, that's step one, right? That is... And I'm going to fall back on something that I'm pretty sure I talked about when when we covered the Octagon on John's show on The Pint. So if you've listened to that episode, well, here I am. I'm going to reiterate something that I'm pretty sure I said. And I guess it's worth repeating... Because now I've seen, this is my second Chuck Norris movie now. And uh, I think he's a terrible leading man. I, I think he's probably a good fighter. You know, I think that he's he's a talented martial artist. But I don't think he has the charisma to carry a movie. He he does nothing for me here. Just like he did nothing for me in the Octagon. We joked about Angus Rice Corner. Just the emotionless nature of his performance here and it's not that i want him to break down and cry when his friend dies but i want him to do something to to make me interested in what's happening otherwise he's just like like a video game character like an old video game character before those video game characters were you know had depth and he's just you know going from set piece to set piece and just doing things i I don't know what he has invested in in this story other than, you know, I guess he wants to avenge his buddy, but the Russian dude, like, I get it, right? He's having nightmares. (laughs) He's haunted by the fact that Chuck Norris could have killed him and didn't kill him. And not that that guy is a great actor, but at least he's going for something, right? He's obsessed. Chuck Norris is just kind of like, well, this exploded. I killed this guy. Now I move on to the next part. Even when he's trying to be funny, or I guess when the script wants him to be funny, it just doesn't land because he he doesn't he doesn't try to sell it. So dry. When yep. he gets the bomb, he's like, "Did you drop this?" Or what does he say? He's like, "Did you forget this somewhere?" Yep, yep. Chuck Norris fans, tell me, is that part of the appeal? Do you is that the thing that if you if you are into Chuck Norris, you are into him because he just undersells everything because he's just. 
everything is delivered with the same cadence. That's that's what makes him cool. That he doesn't ever get worked up about anything. Is that the thing? Because that's I just don't find that engaging. So, and he's he's literally the only person that that's uh, leading us through the movie. I mean, it's him and the bad guys. The the reporter is just a non entity. You know, she's there for just to yell at him a couple of times, but that's it. So, it was impossible for me to care. You know, it's very possible that people listen to us regularly who like this are like rolling their eyes or shaking their fists at. Um, we just gave Barbed Wire a glowing review. Oh, my and, God. <laughs> well, I think that a lot of the criticism heaved at that is what we're criticizing this movie for. And I'm just I'm thinking proactively, Julio, here about us standing our ground on something. <laughs> What I'm trying to say is they're both movies that are kind of riddled with cliches and mm, barbed wire is a bit heavier in satire, but Pamela Anderson as a leading person in that is far more engaging and helps like establish a character and move the story along than Chuck Norris in this. Would you agree with that? Yes. Pamela Anderson has a personality. Uh, okay. I'm going to, let's not get too personal. You know, barbed wire has a personality. <laughs> in <laughs> whatever chuck norris is playing here it doesn't right his his personality is that he's a one-man killing machine and that's it he's a badass that's barbed wire you know she, she has shit going on and then and on top of that she has a, a colorful uh supporting cast that really interacts with her in different ways showcases different aspects of her character uh, there's none of that going on here and uh, and Invasion USA. Probably the worst single thing in the movie is that horrible supporting uh, performance by an angry newspaper reporter and photographer played by Melissa Prophet. Her only function in this movie is to be an angry woman who shoots photos at random, and I mean at random. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then she makes bitter, cynical remarks to Chuck Norris. For example, at one point, he saves her life, and she brushes him off with, thanks a lot, cowboy. <laughs> I kind of just wanted to get that in to remind people that barbed wire is better than this. So uh, <laughs> to make sure that uh, we're playing fair here, there's still movies from the eighties that are just like shoot 'em ups that are fucking hoot because they age curiously. And I think the best example of that is, I think you mentioned it earlier in this episode. I'm sorry. We've gone a lot of places, so I kind of forgot <laughs> a few things, but um, we were both complimentary of the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. And that's a movie that's just like shoot 'em up craziness, but there's, as with the Punisher, an interesting message to it, especially the way that movie delivers it. You know, yeah, there is a lot more to the Punisher, I think, than the whatever Mister Invasion USA has going on. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, the Terminator's one of my favorite movies of all time, but obviously, there's a lot more to that story. It's not just. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, there's USA, big USA number one. Yeah. Well, Lou Gossett Jr. in in the the first Punisher, you know, the Dolph Lundgren mm-hmm. Punisher. I remember that relationship was what was really compelling in the movie, right? Because he's he's somebody that just toes that line between being an ally or an enemy of the Punisher. And they have that relationship, so that's interesting. And then the climax, I remember, really went for it when uh, is it that he has to choose. To kill the bad guy in front of his kid? Is that what happens? There's like this big moral conundrum that I was not expecting from the, the 80s Punisher. And it mm-hmm. it played out in the climax. I was like, yeah, that, that was cool. That's it, It's an okay movie. And it's 
it was trying to do something. You know, I don't know what Invasion USA tries to it's trying to do. Invasion USA just feels like what we've been saying, you know, do you have a well an I think action we, star the, and that's it. Yeah, I think you know and I know what it is what it's trying to do. That's that's the whole point. It, we get it. It's just and we can understand the time period it came in, but we're all it's also fair for us to say in twenty twenty three, hey brother, um one, Chuck Norris you know, he he ain't uh, Al Pacino in the acting department, and two <laughs> elements of this just don't work anymore. But you could make it work if you just really dug into the things that they don't at all, and they don't because of of course you know it was the eighties they were not going to really make an action movie like this starring Chuck Norris where they really explored the the fragility of the American psyche. <laughs> Which is shocking because, again, Chuck Norris uh, co-penned this with James Bruner, Brunner, mm-hmm. who uh, worked on a few other Chuck Norris projects. He penned some of those. And that monologue they wrote for Richard Lynch about Americans, how ignorant and arrogant and soft they are. They don't understand like the idea of their freedom and they're their own worst enemy, as I mentioned already. That's a pretty on-the-nose like soliloquy, but I, I now when you see the rest of the movie, you think that when they wrote it, they're like, "Yeah, what would what would some foreigner that doesn't th- that thinks he knows America but doesn't say about America?" Right. The movie proves him. The, the movie thinks it's proving him wrong. I think, <laughs> right? That's, yeah. Or or even if they acknowledge that he might have been right, doesn't matter because America rises to the occasion and and they defeat the enemy. That's but, right. When our back's to the wall, that's when we're most dangerous. Mm-hmm. All right, here's some shit. Um, in the German release of this movie, the terrorist name was changed from Michael Rostov to Michael Hames, and his backstory was edited to make him an American terrorist. <laughs> so in that version, Chuck Norris is supposed to be German? No, it's just it's a domestic squabble, pretty much. Oh, okay. <laughs> because uh, yeah, that's when Germany was still split into two, and um, the U.S. had a tense relationship with the USSR. I mean, that was obviously like where a lot of the hard-ons of the time came from. Is those fucking Ruskies try to take us down? That's a hot tub time machine. That's the. <laughs> I guess who's the bad guy in that? The park ranger who's scared of the Russians. He's got to take him down. <laughs> There's that scene in it where his friend walks in. He's like, I think his name's Blake. He's like, hey, Blake, uh, you're watching Red Dawn again, huh? <laughs> Is it Crispin Glover? I know Crispin Glover is in the movie, but. No, it's not a guy who I remember him really for anything else. Crispin Glover's the bellhop at the hotel. So. Joseph Zito was the director on this one. Uh, Joseph Zito has a fairly limited filmography, but uh, he directed Missing in Action with uh, Chuck Norris prior to this. And for me, and what makes me happy in life, Julio, he directed Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, which is the closest thing to a good movie in any of those. (laughs) That's the one with uh, Corey Feldman. And uh, goddamn contrarians clairvoyance there crispin glovers in that one too hey he uh had a couple movies that started off early in his career that were kind of um i don't know about shock and awe but i was reading some of the reception to him initially and they seemed to be controversial movies of the time 
He went on to direct Red Scorpion with Dolph Lundgren in 1988, Delta Force One in 2000, and then a movie called Power Play in 2003. It's a... appears as though him and Chuck butted heads on a few things when making this movie, the most interesting of which is that Chuck Norris pushed for Whoopi Goldberg to have the role of the reporter, but was overruled by Joseph Zito. Despite the film's success, Norris vowed never to work with Zito over again because of this. Would she have been the only black person in the cast? (laughs) I mean, probably. And Whoopi's obviously extremely talented for what she does and it would have been a complete waste of resources for her to have and no disrespect to melissa prophet but like that's an absolute nothing role it was written in there because halfway through the script fucking norris and uh what was what did i say his name was bruner we're like ah fuck we don't have a woman in this movie <laughs> and then bruner was like do you know any women <laughs> chuck norris goes Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg. All right, let's do it. (laughs) So, there was a time and a place for movies like Invasion USA, and I I so very much wish that there was still a time and a place for movies like Invasion USA. Obviously, movies with better scripts and better acted, but um, it's just... I think what we've talked about is one of the sadder indictments on modern culture of the world. It's got to be one of the the biggest ones we've discussed on here. Obviously that goes way beyond the bounds of filmmaking. It's just a, a sad commentary at the state of play. So it's okay. It's long. It's boring. If you want to put yourself in a time capsule, I guess you can find some joy from that, but it's um, if you're going to do that, man, there's, a bunch of commando there's a bunch of other movies you can pick from that time frame that will satiate that i think that's the other problem with this conversation is that you know we're bringing up all these points and i'm enjoying it a lot but ultimately it's like i find it hard to go oh yeah it's a shame that these movies are gone because it's a bad movie (laughs) so yeah, if, if if we were talking about Commando, and granted, I haven't seen Commando in I don't know thirty years, <laughs> it might be also bad. But I remember Commando being an entertaining enough movie, and it's probably just as violent and all that. But if we were talking about something of that caliber, that could be like, oh yeah, I kind of miss the time when we could just enjoy a movie like Commando, uh, Invasion USA. I'm like fucking good riddance. <laughs> we, we, we don't need more movies. You know, I'm not gonna miss the time where a movie with. Uh, uh, a bad actor, a nothing script, and uh, propaganda message, you know, was a big hit at the box office. <laughs> so, yeah. No, those those times are gone and that they should be gone. But but yes, I think that there are other movies from the 80s that, that definitely, it's, uh, you know, they had their time. And if they ever were to come back, they would be, you know, if you were to remake them, you would have to drastically change how you approach the material and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it, it i think that in remaking them and making them more sophisticated you also end up losing what made them uh wildly popular and then it just becomes more than likely they'll become something a little more niche robocop that's a good one that tackles both the uh intense gun violence that we were talking about like or it offers that i should say mm-hmm 
but then also has a pretty interesting message about like military and government overreach. So <laughs> even in 87, they were figuring out how to do this shit. Um, trying to think if there's any other ones I want to offer here. Oh, Die Hard, obviously. That that's that's like a, an example of a good invasion USA because that's <laughs> Bruce Willis waving the American flag at the top of the Nakatomi Plaza. It doesn't have the intense like layer of you know the American flag's not plastered over it. And he's not wearing a button that says you know <laughs> Bush Quail eighty eight, but it's uh it's the American cop. The single dad, you know, or the the guy who's going through a divorce with uh, fighting the fucking foreign terrorists and shit. It's <laughs> plenty of examples you could find. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee ki motherfucker. What's your score, Alex? Because I know that mine is not a good one. Uh, my score would be... For all the negative things I've said, this is a movie that I watch and I think to myself, like, I don't need the same kind of movie back, but I need this level of, like, care and filmmaking back. And so because of that, I give it a C minus <laughs> because the action sequences are good. They're well shot. And the practicality of everything involved here is something that we are sorely, sorely lacking. I, I believe that we have definitively evolved and grown past the need for American propaganda films, but we have failed in that our movies today do not still aren't still made with the level of like care and actual filmmaking that this is. You're hard on for practical effects, man. It's just overpowering. <laughs> yeah. It's more powerful than <laughs> my American pride. <laughs> Uh, there's this much like uh, your hatred for period pieces is kind of a running bit that was blown oh. out of proportion. My <laughs> my apparent dislike for practical effects is also a bit that <laughs> that it gets gets way overstated. Uh, I I'm fine with practical effects. I can appreciate them. Where I will draw the line is at saying that they make a bad movie an okay movie. <laughs> this movie fucking sucks. And and I know John knows it because of what he wrote. <laughs> so or at least he knows that I would think it sucked. Uh it, this is man, it's so weird because for those of you uh, that listened to part 3 of Lohan, you know, I was I was pretty harsh when I scored chapter 27 and Labor Pains and I it kind of feels weird to be just as harsh with Invasion USA, but I, I don't really see any other place to go with it. So it's, this is half a star for me. It's just... Okay. It's better than Labor Pains. It's longer than Labor Pains, which is a problem. <laughs> and Labor Pains is Cheryl Hines. I could see you arguing that too. It's Cheryl Hines. Uh, even Lindsay Lohan, as dumb as her character is there, and as, as stupid as, as Labor Pains is. I mean, I think that both movies are just about on the same level of dumb. But there's the cast, even as misused as it is in Labor Pains, is at least more watchable than whatever's going on in um, in Invasion USA. If you had Billy Drago stick around, maybe I would move it up to one star. But he's there for like two minutes, so <laughs> doesn't do anything for me. 
Fair enough. Well, I think John definitely, I hope he got what he wanted out of this. Sorry, man. I mean, it's not a movie of too much substance, so I don't know if we were ever going to get too much out of Real Talk, but um, if you were ready for a discussion about uh, <laughs> Everything the, <else>. depress- <laughs> the depressing wasteland that is current America, you definitely got it there. But thank you, because that means you're a patron of ours, and that's why you got to put this on our desk. And it's covered. It's in the books now. Invasion USA and Chuck Norris. Eligible for an Embry. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> so Chuck Norris is now eligible for an Embry or a Huey. John, thank you. And to our other patrons, thank you so much for your continued support. As you heard at the beginning of this half, you know how to become a patron as well. And who knows, maybe you could be the one to present us with another Chuck Norris movie that'll change our mind. Fuck. But <laughs> as for Invasion USA... Before we wrap up here, I want to close with our close personal longtime friend, Roger Ebert, and his written review from September 27th of 1985, in which he gave Invasion USA one and a half stars. You'd think maybe Chuck Norris would want to follow up his great action movie, Code of Silence, with another winner, but you'd be wrong. Invasion USA is a brain-damaged, idiotic thriller not even bad enough to be laughable. The movie is a production of the Canon Group, which sometimes makes good movies and more often makes junk like this. The theory is that a big-name star like Norris will help the movie make money in the third world. That theory has all but destroyed the box office credibility of Charles Bronson, and Norris seems to be following in the same footsteps. In Code of Silence, he played a well-written character in a well-written constructed story, and there were lots of thrilling stunts and good supporting performances. In Invasion USA, he hardly even interacts with other people on the screen. He simply steps into the frame when needed and blows someone away. The movie is about an invasion of the United States by several boatloads of vicious killers who come from somewhere, Cuba maybe, and leave their amphibious vehicles on the beach. They they pile into a caravan of rented trucks and vans and spread out across Florida using grenades, machine guns, and bazookas to destroy anything that looks remotely like a wholesome American image. Examples. School buses full of kids. Shopping malls. Church services. And even suburban families decorating Christmas trees while singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The theory is that their random violence will unleash anarchy upon America, the rule of law will collapse, and the government will fall, and they will take over. Who are they? Their leader, named Rostov, sometimes seems Russian, usually sounds American. His followers are sometimes Asian, sometimes Latino, usually anonymous. Chuck Norris works for quote, the agency, and is brought out of retirement to fight the threat. But as usual, he insists on two specific working conditions. He works alone, and he drives his own pickup truck. In one scene, he drives the truck through the wall of a shopping mall and mows down several terrorists, miraculously not hitting any civilians in the process. He says as little as possible, and the role has no particular individual character edicts. He's just a mindless, violent symbol. He isn't the only one with no dimensions. The movie's worst, most thankless role goes to Melissa Prophet, who plays a newspaper reporter. She stands around at the scenes of all the many violent crimes in the movie, snapping photographs and being angry. Like many photographers in the movie, she acts as if photography consists of pointing the camera in the direction of the action and recording the largest possible view. (laughs) (laughs) This woman is angry at everyone. She spouts off to cops, badmouth security guards. When Norris saves her life from savage terrorists, she brushes his hand off her sleeve and bitterly snarks, Thanks a lot, cowboy. 
Never in the movie does she write or file a story or a photograph. (laughs) (laughs) And parentheses, this is most amazing. At no point does her presence in the movie make the slightest difference. She never interacts with anybody else for any purpose. She just stands around with her camera being mad. Is this a bad movie? Real bad. (laughs) God bless you, Roger. If I were a Russian general, I would say Chuck Norris is starting our troops in Florida, so let's drop a hydrogen bomb on Florida, and that will probably stop Chuck Norris. It also would have made it a much shorter film and a much better film. Now let's review. All right. So the contrarians and obviously 40 years ago, the man spoke on on the subject. All you needed to know was said by Roger on September 27th, 1985. But July 5th, 2023, Julio and Alex ring in their thoughts as well. So with all that being said, I think we are definitely ready to get out of here, Julio. Let's do, let's, let's start getting ready for the next episode, which uh, is as expected by now, a left turn. There's no action. No, there's no Chuck Norris. There's no eighties-ness. I don't know much about it, but uh, it's the movie burning starring Stephen Young. And, uh, I don't know anything about it. it. Other than it's a pick from Ryan, who um, just recently gave us a QVR that we both enjoyed. So there's hope. There's a fresh movie. So there's hope that this might be good. But of course, because it's fresh, we're going to be saying really mean things about it for a while. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea what that film is about or really anything to do with it. So I am going to go in background blind. I'm pretty fired up about it. I, that's that's the best way to go. So, <laughs> me too. <laughs> now, Alex, business here is done. We've run out of ammo. Let's get out of here. Tremendous. All right. So, we'll move into our perennial plugs and start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser is the man behind our logo and also behind all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page. The little tomato looking at himself in the mirror, that's Hans's work. So if you want to check out more of his art, you can check out his website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. That has links to all his other work, including his novels. He's written a bunch of fantasy novels, zombie novels. And also he has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Uh, you can reach out to him on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com. Hans, thank you for all your support. LateNightGrin.com, our friends in the realm of professional wrestling podcasting. Uh, shortly after this comes out, I'll be back on their monthly Grin Grappler show discussing the career of one Bobby Lashley. Looking forward to that. Uh, if you are at all interested in the great sport of professional wrestling, be sure to head over to LateNightGrin.com and support our boys over there. And we thank the support of Zoe Perez and Coriari, our diligent social media team, who it's getting to the point where they've been with us longer than they haven't. And <laughs> the work they've done for us. It's quite evident and greatly appreciated. Corey's been knocking it out of the fucking park with the videos he's been making for us. And Zoe, the effort she's always given us is greatly appreciated. So both of y'all continue to make our social media presence as presentable and pretty as it can be. So you listening right now need to hop on your Instagram at Contrarian Prime. Uh, if you still have Facebook, 
God bless you, but we're on there too. <laughs> Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Contrarian Prime. And of course, our Twitter uh, is in the, the bumper of our episode. So be sure to follow us on all your social media platforms that you can. Just, you know how this shit works. Help promote the algorithm. Corey, Zoe, we thank you for your continued support and effort. And we thank you, as always, to close out here, the listening public, for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. We'll catch you next time. But uh, if he does, they'll all have to go through, ladies and gentlemen, the Texas Ranger himself. Yes, sir. Ow. We're talking Chuck Norris. Take it away, Chuck. The last time Yokozuna and The Undertaker fought, ten men jumped into the ring and buried the man from the dark side. How many men on the And finally, The Undertaker beaten down. Now they're going to fight again. But this time, I'm going to be there, ringside to make sure history doesn't repeat itself. Yokozuna, don't get out of line because I'm going to be watching your every move.